after many, many trials and tribulations and figuring out how to get Vice. <laughs> yeah. Finally achieved a, a goal unlocked Dark Side of the Ring Season 3. Yeah, it was heavy, man. Like, even rewatching the first hour that we already saw, but then combined with that second hour, uh, it, it just brought it down. It's just like to remember how how dynamic of a character like he lit like to start off as basically uh a single wrestler version of the rock and roll express type character and then to end it at your career and your life unfortunately as an andy kaufman type character what a roller coaster ride that is like you that you wouldn't guess that it's just like one half of of you know uh you know, basically a Hollywood blonde type wrestler would become the loose cannon that he became. Yeah. <laughs> that whole um, gun angle is pretty wild. You know, I think that was 96, you know, basically coming into, uh, uh, you know, the the Monday Night Wars where WWE was losing pretty handily. Uh, Stone Cold was just turned into Stone Cold and starting to get over, you know, so for them to actually... At the time, you know, and I think of it in 1996 to just like do a gun angle. Yeah. Uh, was pretty cutting edge TV and pretty taboo, obviously outside of the business because they got they got trouble from the FCC and they got in trouble from the network. But inside the business, too, you know, people are very protective of the business. And it's just like and I was telling you earlier, just like you'd have a lot of old timers that were pretty much would be pissed off if you do a move that they would consider a finish, right? Yeah. Why'd you drop him, drop him on his head? That's a finish. Why'd yeah. you do that? That's a finish. You know, grab a rest hold. Grab you know, grab a grab a wrestling hold. You know, mm-hmm. when they call them rest hold, but grab a wrestling hold. Wrestle. Don't you know? So to whip a gun out, they'd be like, "Why don't you just take a gun out and shoot him?" So literally, that was almost prophetic. That you know, they turned you know the old every old timer's nightmare of just like having a a gun yeah. <laughs> and then actually did it yeah and and that to show that that he had to apologize for that on tv that was that was cutting edge man can you remember were people confused by that did they think that was really very happening? confused yeah. oh yeah very confused i mean i was in the business and i was confused because i was like how do you end this angle without actually the gun getting fired yeah <laughs> but man what what a pop that is just like when austin 316 meets you know pillman nine millimeter yeah. you know then you know and then they did the static you know they had the basically everybody's tracking stopped working on their old tvs right that's right out of andy coffin's playbook <laughs> yeah exactly i think he was already somewhat sedate by that time because the loose cannon that was the tail end of the loose cannon loose cannon was born way before that you know just like actually in WCW and they started touching on that basically because you know he came in I was, like I was telling you I was trying to remember the song I believe it was like a Def Leppard song and then it was 88 89 it was that the height was his, of his first entrance team well that was his vignettes they just basically would show him coming in doing helicopters and he was doing a lot of like 80s flying stunt and it was just like coming soon flying Brian so you just thought he was another blonde high flyer a la right you know the rock and roll express or the midnight rockers, the, you know, old Shawn Michaels type that is just like, he had the top gun sunglasses and he was holding on to a side of a helicopter and they were doing the, ah, <laughs> so you're like, okay. But you knew this guy was also played with the Cincinnati Bengals. So you knew he was an athlete, right? He'd come out in the, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals color. So he had some lineage, but that was 
you know, kind of the end. That might even before Turner bought WCW or right when he bought WCW. You know, yep. it was pretty it was pretty early. Uh and then, you know, it just became somewhat of a throwaway character and uh you know, Pillman wasn't down with that and then he realized that he had to uh kind of reconfigure his career with the help of Kim Wood. What a character on Whoa, Dark. that guy. Basically, you know, having that guy that which I think was he said he was Pillman's strength coach from yes. the Bengals, but then all of a sudden he kind of became his spiritual and mentor and guru on how to work the business. Yeah, he had some he, he, yeah, he definitely didn't hold back on what he was saying. Oh man, yeah. When he basically uh, told the told the world that he was going to have his way with Vince McMahon like a whore, because that's what you do with them. Yes, again, that analogy didn't make a lot of sense to me, but <laughs> it still feels threatening, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was definitely uh, read, read from uh, that '70s show was how, what they were equating him to him on Twitter. Just yeah. like, wow, this guy is angry. Yeah, he definitely yells at clouds during the rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, now that they're expanding the franchise, I want do you want to pitch this device? How about Dark Side of Kim Wood? Yeah. As a show. Yeah. Well, I would watch a show, you know, as him as a narrator or just basically have a watch along with him, you know. Yeah. It could be basically like a mystery science theater 3000 and he can just yell at the screen. Yeah. That's that's cool with me. <laughs> but yeah, it's just amazing that he became that mentor and basically teaching Brian, after he was kind of get disenchanted after the flying Brian gimmick was being discarded. And then he was with Stone, you know, Steve Austin, stunning Steve off as, as the Hollywood blondes. And that seemed like that wasn't going to go anywhere. And then he's just like, I have all these kids, you know, by then he was basically <laughs> becoming a baby making factory. And he decided to, how do I work the business? Not, yeah. not even, he was no longer in it to work the crowd, like all the wrestlers are doing, you know, yeah. cafe work the crowd. He was cafe work everybody, right? You know, and, and all wrestlers basically. They, I, dude, I remember sitting in the locker room, and no matter what you'd say, a wrestler would be like, "That's a work, that's a work." Yeah. Oh, did you see American Gladiators? Yeah, that's a work. Yeah. You know, it's just like, did you watch? Did you watch Wheel of Fortune? Yeah, that's a work. <laughs> like no yeah. matter what, man. Yeah. And I remember even uh, when Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was the booker there at uh, Global. You know, and that everybody stayed at that same hotel, and he would watch the soap operas. You know, you know, just like it's a work, but they're okay with it, and that's where he would try to get his ideas from. Uh, that was another. <laughs> uh, that was another guy that died way too young. That basically had a brilliant mind for the business, but they should do a show on him. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, that just to have Kim Wood basically, who's an outsider of the wrestling business, convince Brian that this is how you're going to make money. And that's when the birth of the, uh, you know, the loose cannon came. Yeah, which was which was a crazy gimmick, dude. At the time, you know, Vin, you know, Vince already kind of did, you know, declared wrestling sports entertainment. But you know, it still wasn't like, you know, this was coming around the same time that they had the curtain call with the click. Right. You still wouldn't work the, you know, you still respected the business between the ropes. Yeah. So when he started, like, basically blurring those lines. You know, I remember I popped huge and they showed it in uh, Dark Side when, you know, he had that strat match with Kevin Sullivan, right? Uh -huh. And then he just like, he was like, I'm going to teach you to respect me. And because he just kept breaking character and he's like, I respect you, Booker man. Yeah. And then you're like, holy shit. And because at the time, you know, Kevin Sullivan was the Booker. And it's just like, you had to be in the business to know that. And it's like, he just said that on TV. Yeah. 
That's huge. So that blew that blew my mind. That I was mean, is com- this is this something that would be fall under the category of like going into business for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. going into business yourself, but in a, in a more dangerous way because going into business for yourself by basically peeling the curtain back. This is the equivalent of Wizard of Oz, you know, pulling that curtain back, and you saw what you know how the wizard was creating himself. So yeah. it, was, it was dangerous. That was. Those were the two huge moments, you know, for that. And the other one being that Bobby Heenan, who historically had neck injuries, uh-huh. and all he did was barely touch that. And Heenan was very protective of his neck. So when for Heenan to drop an F-bomb yeah. on Monday Nitro and then just storm off the set, you're like, what just happened? <laughs> and did you know about his injury? Did you see Bobby that? Heenan's? Yeah, I mean, did you see that play out live? Did you watch that one? Oh yeah, I watched that live. Yeah, I absolutely watched that live. And so, so you were, I, you were I, aware of of Bobby Heenan's conditions and this that, that right? Yeah, because you know, you know, coming from when he was back in WWE, WWF at the time, he always had a he had a neck brace on a lot. I and do some remember of that. Was, yeah, some of it was worked, but some of it was just because he had. Dude, if you go watch old Bobby Heenan wrestling videos. He was a bumping machine. Yeah. Like the bumps that he took, like in the ring, you're not surprised that he had the neck injuries he did because at the time, the wrestling ring didn't have the shock absorbers that they do now. Sure. Right. Because they were basically hard, hard rings. And he was taking the bumps on basically cement kind of. What year was, what, what year range was that? Uh, probably in the Heenan was probably the 60s, 60s? 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Because he became a manager, I think, in the mid 70s. Yeah. Was that his gimmick also? Was he the brain or? No, he became the brain when he was the manager. He was just Bobby yeah. Heenan? Yeah. He was, uh, I don't remember what his gimmick that he did have. But yeah, he had that, he had that very Freddie Blassie look. Sure. But you knew he had neck injuries and he was, he was very respected, you know, in the locker room. So for that to happen, those two moments were very, to break cafe on TV live like that, the curtain call, you know, with the the click, you know, hugging each other in the ring, yeah, that happened on a house show, house right? Show. And they and they got in trouble, but you know, because th- the footage leaked. This was live on Nitro, yeah, and he broke cafe live on Nitro twice. So and the, the you know and uh, you know well you hear in there they decided they were, uh, you know, they were going to run with it. You know, so Eric Bischoff was in on it, you know, and, and so they did the suspension thing. And, and then when he showed up in the crowd, you're like, oh, man, he's just like, I thought he was suspended because they did it so well. Like, if I remember correctly, they cut like, you know, Nitro did a live and then they show a replay of it immediately afterwards. Yeah. So uh, they cut it out in the second one. They really? cut that portion out. Yeah. So they did. Although I think. No, you know what? That was not, that was actually at Super Bowl because he got. That's when he got fired the next day, uh-huh. quote unquote, fired. But they did cut it out on any replays, so you didn't see it. So that's when you realize maybe this wasn't supposed to happen because why would they cut it out? And that's when they started getting into Eric Bischoff was thought he was in on it, but he wasn't in on it, right? Mm-hmm. Fire <laughs> so me they, for real, so we can negotiate yeah. a new contract. <laughs> that was incredible. Like, yeah, brilliant. To work, he worked the business, man. And I remember when he showed up on ECW, and ECW loved their lights out, who's going to show up and lights on. He got that Road Warrior pop that was just like, whoa. Because then you're like, holy shit. He is he is crazy. He did yeah. get fired for real. He was trying to break KFA. Yeah. Now he's in ECW talking, you know, talking crap about EC, you know, WCW. Yeah. And so as this, was, as this was going on, did Bischoff think he was still um, 
legit yeah. under contract with him. Yeah, I think it, yeah, from what it sounds like, I think he thought it really was. Yeah. Although but it seems like Bishop starts to say he was in on it now, but Yeah, yeah. I think he likes the yeah, I, I don't I don't think him or Vince wants to admit that they were getting worked by Brian Pillman. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to work the bosses like that. But I mean, at that point, you know, I, you know, Pillman was saying something like, I'm gonna yank my Johnson out and piss in this ring kind of thing. Uh, I mean, he was pushing, <laughs> pushing the envelope too, dude. So it was pretty. It was just really incredible, man. That it's just like he was doing this. So you know, and then the, you know the show went over the you know the accident. And man, let's talk a little bit about Melanie Pillman. Okay. Wow. Said she first thoughts, initial thoughts. Oh <laughs> uh, man, like drugs. You know that was say no to drugs. Yeah, it's hard, dude. Because you know it's just like what makes it harder is like you don't like to see people doing that to themselves but to know that they have six kids and when they were yeah. showing all the kids having experienced that that was hard you know and then just having his uh, you know his first wife actually take take her own life right yeah that was that was that was rough um yeah. I, yeah so i didn't understand what happened there they kind of like guilted her into committing suicide it seemed like yeah and it makes you wonder if just like if there was some kind of uh, I don't know. It, yeah, it's I think, hard there's, I think there's a darker side of Melanie. Yeah, there's some speculation because, yeah, she says she, she was not making a lot of eye contact with the camera, which made it really yeah. tough. Uh, but, you know, who, I don't know. I mean, some obviously she was using, and even if she's in recovery now, I mean, you ever still, you know, get that. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't experienced it for myself. So, but yeah. it just seems like you said there's a dark, there's a darker side of that all happening, man. And it's just again, it was a very, very gritty time. I was telling you earlier, going back to, it was really going back to its seventies roots of a smoking, you know, smoking hall, and just like the old ladies throwing things at you, and the crowd really hating you. Just like that was a gritty time. Not only outside there, but in the locker room too. Yeah, you know it was very gritty and cutthroat, and you know the wrestlers had a lot of clicks, a lot of you know a lot of worked gangs, a lot of gimmick gimmicked uh, clicks that you couldn't. But they were basically small little unions in these locker rooms that you couldn't get a, you know into. You were in trouble. Yeah, and then ECW was kind of like all the outcasts that kind of came together and made their own gang kind of thing. Yeah. And they were like fan, but you know, there's just like at the time, I was just like, it's a really tough way to make a living. Sure. Yeah. That sounds rough, man. Yeah. And that's all before he even gets to WWE. Yeah. But man, at that, at that, uh, I, that it was almost eerie seeing that picture of they do the reenactment of, you know, Pillman's taking Meltzer's credentials to go into that, Basically, that was one of those conventions where they sell syndication shows, right? Right. And for him, yeah, that's speak, the thing. They don't make that clear. That wasn't like a WrestleCon. No, you know what I mean. That wasn't some <laughs> no. autograph show. It was. It was like a, a bunch of guys in suits. Yeah, yeah. That's nuts to just to sell their syndication. So for him to crash that and have that picture of of him and Vince, they show the simulate, you know, the reenactment of the picture, and then you see the real picture. Yeah. Then you're like, holy crap, <laughs> man, that he really did that. Right. And it looked you know, like Vince went, was enjoying the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, Vince being the, you know, the modern day P.T. Barnum. Yeah. Of just like he, he he's he's had to deal with a lot of strange characters throughout his entire career. Right. right. So, I mean, it wasn't totally probably caught him off guard, but it probably caught him off guard dealing with it in that environment. Sure. 
And yeah. not being one of his guys, right? Right. No, it probably felt refreshing. He'd been dealing with guys in suits all day. Yeah. Like, oh, I know this guy. Yeah. It's just like if you have a bunch of yes men, I guess you would appreciate someone saying no to you. Yeah. <laughs> so Every once in a while. Just once yeah. in a while. Oh, yeah. But yeah, he needs a few no men right now, but that's another show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, to go to that and then signs with, you know, WWF after you know, a car accident, which everybody started thinking he worked a car accident. Sure. It's like, holy crap, dude. It's just like, cause you knew if you were in, like if you were a fan, you knew he wasn't working that because he looked different. He carried himself different. He, he walked different. Right. But he was so good at his cafe of his gimmick that you just couldn't tell you, you couldn't discount it. You couldn't say, shit, he might be working it. And then yeah. how crazy was that angle of just like, oh, I heard he was going to get uh, plastic surgery to look like Shawn Michaels and then join WWE <laughs> that to sounds become crazy. evil Shawn Michaels. <laughs> that's like a pre-internet rumor. That's how, yeah. That just spreads by I don't know what. Just yeah, that's, <laughs> person to dude, person. Right. Well, let me ask dude, you this. While all this is go- while this is going on in WWE, um, what's going on in WCW at this time? You know, they signed Hogan. They signed Savage. Uh, so that was right around. So was NWO happening? Is I guess my point. Not yet. Nope. Okay. This was this was all pre NWO. That was pre NWO. Yeah, wow. that was pre NWO. Yep. He just uh, Hogan was trying to get over what WWE was trying to get away from, which was those big, colorful cartoon characters. But at the same time, yeah. you know, uh, Bischoff had the you know wherewithal to also book the cruiserweight division start but let's like let's get you know some luchadors from mexico in here let's get some japanese legends so he's doing this all at the same time while uh, maintaining that other stuff because i think kevin sullivan was the last booker man before eric bischoff really started taking over because kevin sullivan is buddies with hogan and they were that's when they were doing the dungeon of doom right that they got uh Brutus Beefcake as the Zodiac, and they had <laughs> Earthquake there as the human, as the shark, and he was having to fight all the. You know, they brought the uh, big, the Big Show in as the giant. Oh yeah, you know, Andre, Andre the Giant Junior. Right, <laughs> unofficially, unofficially. <laughs> so yeah, it was right around that time. So there, there, there was a lot of tweaking happening of the business on both sides, both companies at the sure, time, yeah. you know, and a lot of that had to do with ECW, right? ECW was prospering because they were being, they were the alternative to what you were seeing from the quote unquote big two. Yeah. You know, so, and Pillman was kind of like on the fringe of that. Like he was like kind of leading the charge on that. And yeah, he had the, we, he's probably, it'd be curious to see that he's one of the few that actually got to carry the same exact gimmick over WCW to ECW to WWE. Right. The same exact gimmick, right? Yeah. I mean, there might be, or I should say successfully pull that gimmick off in three different uh, organizations, dude. Mm-hmm. Because when he showed up on ECW and he cut a promo and he's basically in a restaurant and he's like, this is a, you know, don't worry. This is all wrestling. None of this is real. It's fine. He was basically trying to calm the audience down to say he's not crazy but he was stabbing himself in the arm with a fork <laughs> while he was saying all this and yeah. i remember that was so cutting edge yeah that was on like, wwe no that was on ecw that was an ecw yeah so it was a man it really was a a, a great time for wrestling creativity because you know 
this was all happening and there was just like so much they were take there was clear lines drawn and then they they are enjoying finding ways to cross them yeah well i mean you know wrestling always tends to be a reflection of the culture at the time you know and yeah like in the media at that time that's when reality tv was beginning yeah it just gotten right. going we were really big. Everybody was really big into the true crime stuff that started breaking out, but it was like real sensationalized and they would have it on at like four 30 in the afternoon, you know, right. Oh right, yeah. Right, you're right, right. Right before cartoons, it was like half hour murder shows. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but yeah, it was absolutely right. So things were sort of like things were turning into that as far as media goes. So I think wrestling that's slipped into wrestling, but I didn't realize that Pillman was on the forefront of that. He was, he was one of the pioneers of that. I, th- I thought maybe that on the other side, WCW no. was already doing its thing. No, no, no. He was on. He was on the other side of it because he was. He, you know, he's he's the one that started to break that away from WCW and then do it in ECW and then go to do it in WWF. Yeah. You know the the coolest thing that I, they didn't talk about. I really wanted to see is and I'm now now seeing Kim Wood. Now I see why he, he probably <laughs> where he got the idea, but. He, he basically was convincing people that he was going to sneak into the Super Bowl. He's going to buy a ticket, but he was going to sneak onto the field and he was going to chain himself to the goalposts to force them to show it on camera, him getting cut cut off of there just to prove that he was crazy. This was just a rumor? This was the rumor that he was going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, and I, they, they, I want to say somebody, it would be, I'd be curious to see if they actually have references to him saying that uh, in an interview that that's what he, that so was he one was, of his he was ideas. the one starting the rumor. Yeah, yeah, that's when he, him and Kim Wood. It sounds like it was around that same time. Like, what could we do to garner a bunch of attention that's going to get attention on me? Chain yourself to the goalpost during the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Kim Wood. With Kim Wood would brilliant like, ideas. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, what about the teams? Kim Wood would have been like, screw them. Screw them like whores. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do with them. <laughs> so it was, yeah. It was just like, it really, it was it was very cool to see it in there. Because when he got to, you know, WWE and, you know, obviously the car accident really affected his uh, work on there. Everybody was excited to see him get to get back together with stone cold, you know, cause now Steve Austin was no longer stunning. He was stone cold, but he wasn't the baby face stone cold yet. Right. He was the, he was the heel. He's not the ringmaster anymore, but it was, uh, they basically the Hollywood blondes got over in WCW. They got over and they, and the office didn't care. And I feel like that was Pillman's breaking point. So to actually be in this organization now is like, okay, we're going to give you both a shot. I remember it was exciting, you know, just to see him there. Yeah. And it's just like, basically Pillman was there for the, you know, the birth of, of stone cold, but like, who's to say that, you know, he wouldn't have been like right there next to him getting just as big. Right. I mean, that would have the, made the, sense as an angle eventually. Right. Yeah. The potential was there, you know, so they, it was not a surprise that they worked together. Uh, they did, obviously they did the gun angle, but man, just like for him to drop all those F bombs on raw, that was pretty. That was pretty crazy for 1996, right? Yeah. You know, kill that son of a bitch. You know, get him out of my effing way. Like he was. It was. You know, I think that was one of the live ones. So they had a lot of trouble uh, getting that off there because WWE at that time when they brought him in, they realized the cartoon stuff wasn't working. But they haven't switched over to Attitude Era yet. Uh-huh. But what they were trying to do was they were trying to adapt an ECW. 
uh, model, right? So it's just like, you know what, let's cut the tape shows. And that's what they did in 93. Uh, let's have a, just a live small show. But then when ECW really started doing the same thing, it's like, okay, let's make it more gritty like that. And they even had uh, a show called Shotgun Saturday Night that almost was like a shoot show. They're yeah. like, we're going to just touch on all these things. You know, we're just like, we might call Doc Hendricks, you know, I know who you really are, Michael Hayes. And you're like, oh man, they break in cafe. So to have Pillman come over at that time, you thought he was going to get to do more, but unfortunately he didn't get to do anything too crazy beyond that gun angle. Yeah. But I you mean, know? that's what are you going to do to top a gun? Yeah. You know, there you go, man. You're starting <laughs> to sound like one of the old, you know, the old, the fifties old timers. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? Just take a gun out and shoot him. Yeah. <laughs> Just what, like what, the, what comes after that explosive vest? Yeah, you know, and and look, it's understandable. A lot of those guys coming from seventies, like, look, I'll they'll work a headlock. There's a reason they have cauliflower ears because they'd hold a headlock for twenty minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> and not and not break. You know, yeah, just like the, you know, there's the legend of uh, Tug Taylor trained me. You know, was trained by Johnny Valentine, and the and the legend is that he was put in a front face lock and he took a nap for twenty minutes. He took a power nap during the match. <laughs> you know, to charge back, to charge back up, you know, and they just kind of, he was in that hypnagogic state of kind of in and out. And they're like, wow, it's just like, this guy's not going to make it. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. So, so it, I, it's understandable that they were like, well, you might as well just take a gun out. But what was cool towards the end of his career there uh, was he got to have the reunion with the Hart Foundation because everybody know. That wasn't was, in uh, the show. So what happened there? Yeah. So he actually... He was trained by Stu Hart in the dungeon, mm-hmm. you know, and every that's pretty, you know, to be trained by the Hearts in the dungeon is like no joke. That yeah. means you're basically a badass. I know you can hear the audio tapes somewhere. Yeah, it's just like uh, you know, it's it's interesting to hear people do their Stu Hart impersonations. Like, yeah, yeah, come over here and let me uh, let me bend your show you how to hold an arm bar and then yeah. just like just to make these giant guys scream. But you knew that Brian Pillman came from there, so for him. Basically, this is when Bret Hart, uh, Bret Hart turned heel at the same time that Stone Cold turned babyface at their WrestleMania uh, match, where it's just like, remember, like, uh, basically, Bret wouldn't break the sharpshooter. Stone Cold wouldn't give up blood draping down his face. Oh, right. That one. He wouldn't tap out. That's where Stone Cold was really born. But it turned Bret heel. So except in Canada. So basically, he's like, well, screw it. Let's go all in. You know, Canadian hero Bret Hart teams up with his brother Owen and his brother-in-law's British Bulldog and Jim Neidhart as part of like an anti-American Hart Foundation. But you knew Brian Pillman was part of that their group because he trained there. Yeah. So it's like it was cool to see him become part of that uh, uh, that that basically the new heart foundation as the heels. And I remember there was a coolest poster. I'd love to see if the artwork was there. And it was just like, it probably, man, you'd get canceled if you did it now. I don't remember if it was an American flag or something, but it basically had all five members of the heart foundation with their backs turned peeing. And you're just like, and I remember seeing it. It was just like, wow, that's peeing on the American flag. Yeah. But it was just like, it was crazy artwork, but uh, yeah, so to see him part of that, even though you knew from he was from a Cincinnati guy, uh, that he was part of that, that was the coolest thing. Because, again, it, it was really special to say you were trained in the dungeon because there's not many left, right? They had, you know, Chris Jericho is a dungeon student, uh, Lance Storm. And I think Natty Neidhart might be the last person that's act technically w- that's considered trained from the dungeon. Because wow. I don't know if Davey Boy Smith Jr. Uh, is was a dungeon student or not, but... 
I don't know if Natty was the last one, but that that meant a lot. So it, it was kind of like seeing his uh, career come full circle to train. Yeah, you know, flying then become Flying Brian, Hollywood Blondes, New Four Horsemen, Loose Cannon, and now he's part of the Hart Foundation. Unfortunately, a little bit before, uh, unfortunately, when he passed. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah, but it was. Uh, yeah, it was it was a great episode, man. I was like, I wasn't sure how they were going to be able to pull a two parter off for Pillman, but they did it well because obviously Chris Benoit. I mean, well, yeah, you you can talk for hours and hours right. on that, but yeah. it's just like for Pillman, could you do a two hours? And then you're like, to hit that, it's like, wow, yeah, I guess you can. Yeah, I mean, there was stuff that was left out that you're filling me in on now. That I mean, obviously there was an abundance of information, you know. Um, yeah. There was no, yeah, there's no murder in this one, and that's why, um, you know, no, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of tragic deaths between, you know, between, uh, you know, his his first wife, you know, obviously that was bad, you know, bad news, and uh, to see Jim Cornette, you know, get choked up again, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like you can tell uh, because look, he he hates the business because he loves the business. Right. If he didn't love it, it wouldn't hurt so much, and it wouldn't make him so passionate. Yeah. And I. I love listening to his stories because guess what? There's one thing he doesn't do is lie. No. <laughs> he the- shoots and he's a historian and he knows the facts and he will tell you, he will, he will call it straight. So I think he's a great asset to the show. And he was right there. And I mean, I didn't know he was the first one to get the call for Brian Pillman that, you know, Brian Pillman. He's was been involved dead. in so much wrestling history. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Him and Jim Ross, man. Yeah. The Jim Ross thing is another one that really choked me up because I mean, obviously, we're everybody knows and loves Jr. I mean, Jr.'s in the business twenty years before you even make it to WWE is crazy, right? So, but for him, basically, he was there to scout and recruit Brian Philman as Flying Brian. He's there throughout his, you know. Then they cross paths again in WWE, and now he's in AEW basically giving knowledge to his, you know, flying Brian's son. Right. I was just like, how, how weird would that be for him? That it's just like, you're looking at this guy who's talented, good looking kid. That's want to make it in business. And now you're, is he having flashbacks? It was just like, this is the same conversation I had, but hopefully I'm getting through because you can tell he felt really guilty. Like almost like I got him the drug test to try to save him, but I failed him because he thought I betrayed him. That's heavy. And then, unfortunately, then he had to go look at him in the casket. And that reenactment, that was a tough one. Yeah. They nail it with the reenactments. They're oh, amazing. Man. Yeah. this I mean, the show is so good. It's like, to me, this just like, for anyone that says wrestling is fake or, you know, none of that's real, right? I would love for them to sit down and watch all of this. Mm-hmm. All of the, uh, watch, watch all these seasons. Because to me, I think as a non-wrestling fan, you can sit here and watch this and be mesmerized. Yeah, I think that so. it's just like because there's just something about this, you know. I've heard it many times, and I've I've lived it myself. They say you can't. It's like you you need a twelve step program to get out of this business because mm-hmm. it really never it never leaves your system. And I I I mean I've made no bones about that. I've had like love hate, you know, a relationship with the business, and it's just not because. And it's the same thing that I said about Jim Cornette because you always love it. It's always in your blood. Yeah, it's always in your system, and then it's just like when you can't do it at the highest level, or you didn't accomplish a lot of the goals that you didn't accomplish, like me on some of those goals. It's just like you never lose it. It's like it, it in a weird way, it defines you. 
Mm-hmm. So for, to see, you know, there's one story that's my story, but then you have these stories that obviously these guys brought it to a whole nother level to the point where it cost some of them their families and their lives, right? Yeah. Their, their, their health, you know, it's just like, it's sit down and watch this when you say wrestling is fake and then just tell me it's fake. Just because we're deciding not to punch at 100% velocity does yeah. not make something not real. Yeah. Um, just one more thing. So what were you think uh, Brian Pillman's going to get a Brian Pillman Jr. is going to get a bit of a push out of this? I hope so. I truly do hope so. I think that would be I think that would be the happy ending that a lot of wrestling, especially in that period. It's a great story. It's already there. Yeah, it's really it's already there. I think he should get a push. I'm even OK if it's a tag team push. You know, I have no problem with him as the varsity blondes because that is yeah. an homage to his father. I think that would be a great first step. To have those two uh, get the tag belts. Right. And then if you want to break them away later and kind of give him a run, I think that would be a great happy ending yeah. that we did not get with his father. Yeah, they're a solid tag team. I, I like the way they're put together. AEW has this thing where they have kind of awkward pairings sometimes. They got a lot yeah. of those going through. Um, They'd be great. Yeah, get them in the match with the Young Bucks put and um, let, yeah. them, let them do a run. That would be great. Yeah, let's give them, give them the tag match. And then eventually I would love to see him uh, well, let's see how much he gets over. Let's see how that pop gets over. Because look, you know, we we've said this so many times on the show, and I'm going to say it ad nauseum because it's fair. When when it feels real, it works, and it's just like there's real drama with this because you just saw that basically his son was abused by the stepfather. You know, had a lot of social issues, anxiety issues, and he turned around and and now is doing right, and he's trying to make you know do right where his dad went wrong. Yeah. That story, like, it writes itself. Like, yeah. now just use that and, you know, show the clips from Dark Side of the Ring. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you don't have to show the super dark stuff, but, man, wear it. let him wear his dad. Let him do it for his dad. Yeah. Well, everybody's watching Dark Side of the Ring. Anybody who's a mark for wrestling right now is watching it. Oh, yeah. It. So, Dude, yeah. This, it's it's a great show. So I would love to see it. And I, and I think Tony Khan uh, is less hateful to the fans than Vince McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Uh, He's not a person that fan service is considered a bad thing. Yeah. And this isn't wouldn't be fat fan service. This is this would be a good message, you know. You know, like Jim Cornette says in one of future episodes, like, God damn it, why can't you have the light side of the ring episode? <laughs> <laughs> like this would be an opportunity to have the light side of the ring where it's just like, okay, at least there's this somewhat of a happy ending that he would have, you know, his dad would be proud and you give him the option, you know, the opportunity to uh, kind of make some peace with, you know, a tragic story. There you go. AEW presents Light Side of the Ring. Yes. (laughs) Cut the check. Tony Khan, book it, brother.